This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, so you can turn there now if you like. We're skipping a little bit because I feel like next week uh, we're going to be hitting Philippians 2 and really hits a lot of what we want to talk about as far as Christmas is concerned this next week. So this week we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 11. And um, before we get started this morning, I just want to, uh, just a quick housekeeping item. This was um, on my mind the other night, and um, I couldn't shake it. It was one of those nights, you ever have those nights where you're thinking and praying about something, and you're kind of like, I don't know, God, maybe, maybe that's just, you know, on my mind because I'm worried about it, whatever. Long story short was, God just kind of kept bringing it up. So I'm going to put it out there and see if anybody's interested in this, but you're going to see... Um, an announcement coming um, this afternoon as well online. But this Wednesday evening from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, I thought, you know what? It would probably be a good idea to just open up the sanctuary. We're going to clear all the chairs out. We're just going to put some tables up. And there is no programming happening that evening. (laughs) All we're going to do is open this place up that if you want to come and pray or reflect on your year or even... There have been many who have lost um, some significant loved ones this year, and oftentimes we rush through Christmas, and we never have an opportunity to sit back, reflect, and remember what God has done for us. And so what's going to happen is we're just going to open up the church from 5 to 7. We're going to have worship music playing in the background. If you feel like you need prayer, I will be here to pray with you. If you just need a space that's quiet, that's not home, <laughs> just reflect and remember what God has done or remember your loved ones that maybe have gone uh, ahead of you. Um, we just, I, I just, I couldn't shake it. I thought, you know what, let's just, let's just see what God does with that. And um, I, I, I want to just offer that for you um, this Wednesday. So you'll see an announcement coming up online, like I said, but this Wednesday from five to seven, um, our sanctuary will be open. Um, we're going to ask that you wear masks because we don't know who is coming. And so, um, just ask you just kind of spread, spread out that evening and, um, just use that opportunity. So if that sounds like something that you would be needing, uh, five to seven here on Wednesday, you're going to be able to do that. So I just want to put that out there. So this morning, Carrie and I went on a walk for, uh, just uh, to decompress um, on Thursday. And uh, after work, we were talking about our jobs and the end of the year and end of the semester for her. And we got on the topic of throwing things away. Like she was talking about cleaning out her office. I was talking about how bad my office is right now. And uh, just the idea of just decluttering and kind of heading into a new semester and a new season. And it was just kind of refreshing and lethargic, I think, to kind of just empty out and, and, to, and to throw things out. And so here's the reality, though. She's better at throwing things out than I am. Um, I tend to hold on to things way too long. Uh, and I don't know if you're like me or if you're like her, where you're kind of on... Normally, you end on one or two of those spectrums. I tend to hold on to things longer than I should. And I mean, really... Who needs, um, I still have these like prank eye like glasses. They're this big and this thick that I got like nine years ago as a prank gift on Christmas. They're still in my garage. Um, and I'm like, I don't know why I still have those gifts from my mother-in-law. That's because that's the kind of gift she gives. So you're welcome. Um, how many of you, in the, so let me just ask this. How many of you in the room are savers? Like you just don't throw things away. You still have like emails from 10 years ago. Holy cow, 10 years Okay, um, how many of you guys um, are the, uh, the opposite of you? Like, that, that you just get rid of it, you delete it, it's gone, you don't even think about it. Okay, all right, good. Uh, online, you can let us know as well. How many of you, um, 
uh, your desktops and phones have emails. We talked about that. Your attic is full of like, so for those who are like savers, isn't it funny? Like your, your attic is, is like the museum to like 1990s, right? If you were to walk up there, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I remember this year or the 2000s or whatever it is. Uh, you want to throw stuff away, but you just might, what, need it. Yeah, right? Right? Isn't that funny? Like, who's going to need it? You might need an email from 10 years ago. I don't think so, but maybe. Uh, You need it, right? It's probably, you you need it. Others, I can't throw it away because it it, it means something or it's it's special, right? Those eyeglasses from nine years ago, they're special. That's why they're in the garage. Um, But but it's honestly like, you, you, you don't need it, but you hold on to it way too long. Those who are not like us, uh, who are not normal, uh, you throw things away very, very quickly. You just get rid of it. You're practical. You think, when will I ever use this? But here's the thing, whether you fall on that spectrum or the other spectrum, the thing that unites all of us in the room, whether you're savers or whether you throw things away, the thing that probably unites all of us in the room is this, and the thing that even speaks to followers of Jesus and those who are not followers of Jesus this morning is this. We don't want to lose something or throw it out unless we know we will gain something better, right? No matter who you are, whether you toss it out quickly or whether you hold on to it, the reality is we don't want to get rid of something that we feel like we're not going to gain something better on the other side. Or to put it another way, we could say it like this. uh, What you are willing to lose is dependent upon what you're going to gain, right? If you know that you're going to get something better, it's very easy to throw it away. If you're not sure you're going to be able to get something better, you really want to hold on to it. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be heading into Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be talking about this idea of gaining by losing. And that's a title of a book that I stole from, but it's, it's not a book. It's not the book that we're talking about this morning. Uh, but gaining by losing is the idea and the theme this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse one, and dive into this amazing text that Paul gives us here, uh, heading into Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord is a phrase you're going to see in Philippians again and again and again. I think it's like seven times in this letter Paul says rejoice in some way or another. But this is a specific command. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write you this again and again, to keep saying rejoice over and over and over again is not a bad thing for me. It's actually to keep you safe, to remind you that joy is a choice and you can choose it. Because here's one of the things that was happening in this text and in this time that was happening that was causing them to lose joy. Let's continue in verses 2 through 4. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. He says, if any, though I myself have a reason to have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more, Right? So there's a couple things happening here. We want to kind of understand what is this idea of flesh? What is he talking about with this idea of dogs? Is it literal dogs? What's, what's actually happening here as we look at this context of what's happening? Paul, this idea of flesh, I, I, the best I can get is he means any human behavior that we do, any action that we do as humans that is not dependent upon the Holy Spirit and not for 
the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. When I think he's talking flesh, specifically in this context, one of the things he's talking about is a human behavior that is not dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit and is not for the glory of Jesus Christ. In this context, he's saying that when we try and do things that are just because human behavior is telling us to do it or because other people are telling us to do it, it's going to be meaningless. This idea of dogs was a very interesting concept because dogs was a word or a derogatory term that was used towards those who were non-Jewish at this time, right? So if anybody was not a legitimate Jewish-born person in, in that time, they would be very derogatory terms thrown at them. And he throws the term back at very strong Jewish believers here, or I'm sorry, Jewish followers here, and he says, look out for them. Look out for these people who are evil, looking out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, there was this um, sect of Judaism that was continuing again and again and again to tell people that they needed to be circumcised in order to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And in order to really be a true follower of God in, in, these, in these terms. And so they would actually harass and go after these people and say, unless you, really, unless you do this act, you have nothing to do with it. And Paul looks at them and he says, you are dogs, number one. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I don't have time to, or this probably isn't the location or the space with kids in the room, to uh, go into detail of what it means to mutilate the flesh in this. But let's just say it could be very, very awkward for a lot of men in the room, okay? Uh, this is not how you want to lead a campaign to get people to come to your church. Uh, but Paul understood that this idea of mutilating the flesh and circumcision was a really big deal. And he says, look out for those who are not only, per- they're not only harming because of it, but they're actually doing things that are not supposed to be done because we have freedom in Christ. And he says, to that end, this is where we get flesh, he says, They are not those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus because they put no confidence, uh, they put all their confidence in flesh. He says, we are to put no confidence in the flesh. So that's kind of the scenario of what's happening in the church. And Paul goes into this thing and he starts to hear all these things that these Jewish people are saying to him. And they're building this huge case of why Paul is, is causing these people to go astray by not, causing, by not calling them to be circumcised. And Paul here, in amazing terms, I love this, he says these words. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In the context, he's saying, when we try and use human behavior to impress or know Jesus, he says, if we're just using behavior that is, uh, that is secular and, and not just part of um, worshiping Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, when we just do it that way and try and impress them, he says, that has nothing to do with where we're going to go. He says, if we're going to go to that route, though, let me tell you about me. This is a big statement, especially when we think about how much we do on our own. Paul is saying the same thing here. He says, if you want a resume of confidence in the flesh, let me show you my resume of in the flesh. So let's look at this. This is the case that Paul is building of his resume, right? So this is that idea, like if you were to think of your LinkedIn profile these days uh, or your resume, I want you to think of the last time you fired that up and think of all the things that would go into that resume that you have done that are part of your uh, career. And, and, And Paul says, let me give you mine. Let me show you all the things that I have done. So Philippians chapter uh, three, looking at verse five through six, let's just kind of unpack this a little bit. 
He says, I, uh, Paul, have a bigger, bigger resume than you do because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. One commentator says, this is the most remarkable resume in the ancient world. And let me just unpack why this is such an impressive resume, especially to a Jewish person of that day. I'm going to take this piece by piece because this is important to know. Paul's building the case that if you want a confidence in the flesh, I have it. Then he's going to make the case of why that's not a big deal. But here's why his resume is so impressive. He starts by saying in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, If you know your Bibles, this is important because in Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, Abraham is is talking here and he says, He who is eight years old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money, or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. So to be a true Jewish believer, to do it right, the parents had to do it on the eighth day, not the sixth, not the fifth, not the seventh, but the eighth day. And so this would have been an impressive part of his resume because his parents would have been seen as like the people, right? So this is kind of the equivalent. If you were to go into churches today and you would say, well, my parents were in church every week and they, they raised me in the Bible. Uh, we did sword drills at dinner, whatever it is, right? They, they raised me to be a true believer. This would have been a big deal. And so for the Jewish believers, they thought, oh, wow, okay, so Paul's got an impressive resume and the fact that his parents did the right thing, followed the law, that's impressive. That's number one impression. His parents were on the right track. And then number two, he says, of the people of Israel. So this is, this is interesting. Of the people of Israel is inside talk. He's not just talking as any normal Jewish person would, but as an insider saying people of Israel was an Old Testament term. He could have said, I'm just, he could have just said, I'm Jewish. But this is I am tracing my heritage back to the Old Testament to the people of Israel, right? So again, putting this in today's terms, it would be kind of sanctified, saved, the whole insider lingo. Paul says, I am part of the original bloodline of Israel. The people of Israel, that's, that's my bloodline. And then he says, and if that's not enough, my parents, my bloodline, he goes into another one. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, Now, again, you got to go back to the Old Testament to figure out why this is such a big deal. But this was the right tribe. (laughs) This was the only tribe of the 12 to be loyal to the tribe of Judah way back in the Old Testament when they split. Benjamin was the tribe. Let me just kind of read some notes here. Benjamin was the only son born in the promised land. That's huge. And the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah in the house of David after the death of Solomon. And the tribe of Benjamin went into exile with the tribe of Judah and returned from exile with Judah to resettlement of Jerusalem. They were close. They were the only one who followed God together. Benjamin, remained, Benjamin, the tribe of, remained at the core of spirituality. And on top of that, King Saul, Israel's first king, was a Benjamite. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And the apostle Paul, many believe, was given the name Saul after King Saul. So he's like, if you really want to test my upbringing and who I am, I'm part of that line. I'm part of the Benjamin tribe. My name reflects the very first king of Israel, King Saul. And thus Paul's heritage, his name, his bloodline would have radiated with pride. Not many in this day could have had that kind of heritage. They could not trace it all the way back to this thing. And Paul's like, if you think that's impressive, I've got more. (laughs) I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
In other words, I'm a speaker of the original language of Hebrew. I could write, he could write, he could read and speak the original language. He was not, in those, in those days, the term polluted by Greek influence, right? So in the book of Acts, there's, there's Jewish people who get saved and they speak Greek. These are known as the Hellenistic Jews. Paul says they were looked down upon and he says, I am not them. I speak fluent Hebrew, So I've got even more reputation and resume. I'm not polluted by that lazy Greek language that you talk about all the time in our culture. I speak Hebrew. I read Hebrew. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He continues, as to the law of Pharisee, he had a doctorate in Jewish studies for crying out loud in those days. And he was trained under one of the best rabbis of the day by the name of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. This Pharisee would be the cream of the crop of rabbis. This would be to put it kind of in equivalent terms, the George Whitfield, who notably played high school ball here in Maslin, but then went on to work with quarterbacks such as Ben Roethlisberger, Taj Boyd, E.J. Manuel, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Landry Jones, Logan Thomas, Johnny Manziel, Jarrett Lee, and Braxton Miller, all were underneath the coaching of George Whitfield. And Pepper would have been like, okay, I know the big names, but I didn't know the coach. The same is true of, hey, I know the big name of Paul, but I forgot about the big name of Gamaliel. And Paul says, hey, if you want resumes, I was trained under the best. I was trained under the best. And then he says, and, and if that's not enough, my resume continues, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I didn't just talk the talk. I actually took action. I went house to house. In Acts, it says that Paul went house to house, dragging people out of their homes who were Christians and persecuting them, even killing them. And so he says, you know, there's a lot of Judaizers out there who kind of just talk the talk of, you know, being rough and tough and we're going to stick to the doctrine of the Old Testament. I actually did it. And I actually went through. I, I backed up my words with actions. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And then he says, as to righteousness, blameless. That's crazy. Everything I did, I did exactly by the law. And that's his resume he puts in here. He doesn't include in the resume the fact that he's also a Roman citizen. That would have upped his resume as well. He doesn't even go there. But Paul's resume was immaculate to Jewish people. I mean, you couldn't find a better resume out there. Shocking because it included killing Christians, right? He thought he was climbing the ladder. He thought this is how you protect God from those heretics. His resume reminds me of that statement, and uh, I don't know if you remember the uh, comedy routine by Brian Regan at all, the meme monster kind of thing. We talked about it in our group studies. But the meme monster is this thing where he, he kind of gives this bit about the idea of you go to a party, and he goes, I wish I was the guy at the party who went to the moon. Because whenever I, he would give, give this example of, like, whenever I'm at this dinner party, and people start bragging about who they are, and what company they own, and where they've traveled, and where they've been. They start bragging about the resume. He could sit back, and he could listen. He's like, yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. And you went there. That's great. And you went to, okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And you own and, okay, cool. Five houses. That's great. Yeah, what do you do? I, I, it's great. But he goes, well, I, 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 I walked on the moon. 
<laughs> to which he goes, I would just love it because then the room would just be quiet. He goes, they would talk about where they were driving. And he'd be like, yeah, I remember when I was, he goes into this bit of, I was driving on the Sea of Tranquility and it was great, you know. And, and he goes, it was this whole thing. And he's like, the resume would just exceed everybody else. And this was Paul. His resume could exceed everybody else. But here's the key this morning. Paul says in verse seven, but whatever I gain, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This word rubbish is a nice term. In, in the actual language, it, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of like, uh, uh, again, trying to think of mixed audience. Uh, it, it's kind of, it's just poop. Let's just put poop out there. Everybody's like, yay, poop on Sunday. Uh, it's actually a little bit worse than poop, okay? Uh, but this word rubbish, he says, I count my resume, everything that I've accomplished as rubbish, stinks, smells, you don't want to touch it, go near it. I count it as that in comparison to gaining Christ. The reason for this part of the letter is that every ounce of confidence, everything Paul can brag about is not his resume. Everything he can brag about is gaining Christ. To which we have to ask, so how does that work? Why and how do we, we, we get there? So we get into Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not this resume, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, Paul's telling us in 2020, whatever we have brought into our relationship with Jesus Christ that we think is really impressive, that we think is going to be our ticket into heaven, This thing that we think is going to impress God is actually in all reality rubbish, poop, garbage. It means nothing compared to gaining Christ. Your resume, whatever you brought in, means nothing because it all gets leveled at the cross. We all come to Christ thinking we can impress him, but nothing will impress him. The hard part is... We, we realize that maybe as Christians, we know that. Like, this is just a refresher course for us. Yeah, I get that. I know that nothing impresses him. But here's the reality. The hard part is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, isn't it true that old habits die hard? The, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to impress him. Yeah, I know everything's conquered in Christ. But isn't it true that on a weekly, daily basis, a lot of our actions that we do towards Jesus is to try and impress him to try and make him like us more, to try and just say, I could do it, I could do it, look at, look at what I'm doing for you. And Christ looks at it and says, it's, it's not meant to impress. It's, you have a relationship with me, and knowing me is enough. And Paul knows this, and so to give us two powerful verses to, to wrap this up, he gives us verses 10 and 11. He says, all of it doesn't matter. All of it is leveled to the cross, And all that I want in gaining Christ, in verse 10, is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, this morning, the idea of knowing him is is vital. There's a big, big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There is a really big difference between me knowing about my wife and knowing my wife. Because 
If I just know her, I know her resume. It's impressive, right? I know the amazing accomplishments that she has. I know how hard she works. I know all the things she does around the house on top of everything else that she does on a regular basis. I know those things. I know about her personality. I know kind of some things that, you know, make her laugh, some things that maybe don't. And I know I know those things. But, but here's the thing. If that's all I know from the outside, it's not the same as truly knowing her. Because here's what else I know about her. I know her heart. I know how she's grown up in her relationship with Jesus. I know where she's at and how she's growing in her relationship with Jesus. I know the power of her prayer life. I know the fake laughs from the real laughs. I know the, 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 the phrases of Carrie, right? None, none of you really know all the phrases. Our kids probably know them, but I know those deep things of her phrases. I know what excites her, and I know what crushes her, right? Because I know her. I, I, I deeply know her. I know her enough that, that we can go on a date and we can drive all the way wherever we need to go, and we don't have to say a word, and I just, I just know that being with her is enough, Right? And you can think of that for your spouse, right? I just know them, and they know me, and, and it's just a good relationship. I know them. And the same is true in a relationship with Christ. Knowing him is different than knowing him. Does that make sense? Knowing Jesus is different than knowing your resume to impress him. Knowing Jesus is different than just knowing about Jesus. And as you continue to grow... I think these old habits in us continue to try and impress him. God, I'm going I'm to really do my devotions this week. God, I'm really not going to do this this week. God, I'm going to really make it work this week. I'm going to impress you this week, and it's going to be great. And we think it's all about actions and all about do's and don'ts, and, and ultimately, reality, we can miss him, especially at this time of year even. How crazy is it that we could miss him even at Christmas because we're trying to do all the things to make our relationship with him work, when in reality, he says, I want you to come and I want you to sit and I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. I want you to know how I operate. I want you to know my care and my concern for you. I want you to know me deeply. And that only comes through time. And that only comes through surrender of our lives to him. Knowing him more than knowing our resume is ultimately a lifelong journey. Because we always can continue to grow. We can always continue to advance. But ultimately, it's about knowing Jesus. Could it be, and this is interesting, I thought as I was looking at this passage, could it be that when Paul says to know him, his mind went back to Acts chapter 9, where Paul, in part of his longing to know Christ, maybe thought back to his conversion. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 9, but the fact is that we know that he talked and saw Jesus, that he, that he talked and met with Jesus, and even prior to becoming a church planter was mentored by Jesus. Could it be that as Paul says, I want you to know Christ, he could go back into his mind and think of those times where he was just hearing and being with Jesus. If the disciples were writing that, they would say, guys, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and, and, and a time where I can think back to where we were just underneath that tree together and we were just hearing him talk and hearing his heart and, and I could just know Jesus. That's different. Could it be that Paul says, I long for the days when, when I was just sitting with him at his feet and hearing him? Could the disciples say, I long for the days when we were sitting on that beach together having breakfast together? 
knowing Jesus like they did when they walked town to town, knowing Jesus like Mary knew Jesus. And I don't know that we've ever maybe even asked Jesus to really know him. I think we've done a lot of asking of how to make him happy and how to impress him and build our resumes. But I don't know if we've ever taken the time to say, Jesus, I want to know you. And not in just a a logical sense. I want to know you, yes, logically, but deeply. I want to know you. I want to know what makes you excited. I want to know what makes you sad. I want to know what makes you just giddy about me. I want to know all of it. But here's the thing. It takes time. And ultimately, Paul's going to tell us it doesn't just take time. It takes suffering. It takes ripping up your performance resume and sitting at the feet of Jesus. He, he ends in the same verse where he talks about in 10.11, where he talks about the power of the resurrection. This is the kind of power that only comes through dying. Let's just put that out there. If I were to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the only way I know the power of the resurrection is if I die to myself first. This kind of power only comes through dying, throwing away the resume, stop digging it out of the trash and trying to clean it up and impress it before God. The power to know him only comes through dying to yourself and allowing God to do the work. To say it another way from the text, it is in the day-to-day things we do to do them, as verse 3 tells us, through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ. For in the circumcision, we, for, we who, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, in order to know him deeply, we must die to ourselves. He says, we must share in his sufferings, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. This word share is amazing. It's the word koinonia. You ever hear that as far as fellowship, right? Typically in church world, you hear we're going to have fellowship, right? Which typically just means you're going to go eat something, right? It's not really what it means, but typically that in church world, that's what it means. Can you imagine if fellowship was like the key word, if we use this fellowship in suffering? Can you imagine like people come to your church, like, hey, I really want to get connected. I want to know people. I want to just have koinonia fellowship. How do I do it? And we come to them and we say, we got a great suffering program here. You're going to love it, right? It starts off entry level where we just kind of cause some suffering in your life. And then level two, you're here for like two weeks. You're going to love it. Then you really suffer. And then about like two, year, two months in, three months in, you're going to really suffer. For those who have been with us for like the last five years, you're kind of like, yeah, I know that feeling, right? You're like, amen, amen, right? That is true of this church. Suffering is just ongoing. I'm in year five. I'm an advanced degree of suffering, right? He says, this idea of sharing in his suffering is fellowship, which is interesting, right? That he says, if you're truly going to know me, you must share, you must koinonia fellowship in my sufferings. And then lastly, becoming like him in his death. God's grace not only saves us, it supplies those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ with the power to continually die, knowing he has the power to resurrect us again and again and again. It's the power of Jesus Christ to resurrect us every time we sin. It's like we're dying to that sin, saying, God, I want to die to that sin. I want to bury it, leave it, and I want to raise again with you. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. As we close, let me give you some applications to what this actually could mean for us today. I want you to think, as you think of this passage, I want you to think of what distractions or what parts of your resume that you've been trying to build with God is keeping you from really knowing him this Christmas. What are you doing to impress him 
that's actually in the way of knowing him. For me, I'm so busy doing ministry for him that I don't know him fully by just sitting and praying and having meditation time with him. I don't know what those distractions could be, but we all have these distractions to keep us from knowing him. And then once you find out what it is that's keeping you from him, the second part of this was asking God to reveal the worth of what that is that you're doing. Is what you're doing truly building a relationship with Christ or is it just building your resume? And then last but not least, what do you want to know about him? Maybe that's a better question as we head into the holiday season. What do you want to know about him? What key thing do you say, man, I would just love to know about Jesus at this season? I want to know how he grew up. I want to know maybe what, what kind of stirred his heart when he was young. I want to know what it meant for God to send his son down for us on our behalf. I want to know him. Because ultimately, the key is this. Whatever we have that we think is building our resume to Christ is actually in the way if it doesn't gain knowledge and knowing Jesus. So my hope is that we, that we don't get so busy trying to do all these things that we don't gain Christ. That as we push forward, as we talked about last week, to just stand up and take the punches and get after it, that as we're doing that, we don't miss the moments where we sit and actually ask God, God, I, want to, I just want to know you. I want to know you deeply. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. Hopefully, as we end 2020, you can think back and say, God, what do I know about you from this year? What do you want to know about him heading into 2021? Let me pray for us, and we'll close out with a song together. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, for me personally, I know there are plenty of things that get in the way of knowing you. There are plenty of things that I just really am good at being busy with, and they are ultimately things that can be distracting so God, I pray this morning for us, a community, that all the things we're dealing with, God, they would not be distractions, but they would truly know you and the power of your resurrection. God, that we would take all the sins that are constantly hounding us and we would bury them deep, we die to them, and allow you to resurrect us again and again as we bury those sins and continually follow you out of them. God, for those at home who are, uh, God, in the midst of all of these decisions with COVID and things like that, I pray, Father, uh, for safety for them. God, I know specifically uh, you'll be praying for those who have, have, have actually been through or are walking through it currently. And I pray, God, that you just be their trust and their hope during this. We pray that as we sing this song out together, this will be our anthem heading out. Uh, God, we would turn everything over to you and your resurrecting power in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, join us, if you would, standing. You called me from the grave by name. You called me out of all my shame. I see the old has passed away. The new has come. I have resurrection power living on the inside, Jesus. 
you have given us freedom no longer down by sin and darkness living in the light of your goodness you have given us freedom I'm dressed in your royalty your Holy Spirit lives in me I see my past has been redeemed the new has come now I have resurrection Jesus, you have given us freedom, no longer bound by sin and darkness, living in the light of your goodness, you have given us freedom, freedom, you have given us freedom, you have given us freedom. Chains are gone. Freedom, you have given us freedom. You have given us freedom. Hallelujah. Freedom, freedom, you have given us freedom. You have given us freedom. My chains are gone. Given us freedom, you have given us freedom. Hallelujah. Now I have resurrection power living on the inside, no longer bound by sin and darkness. course now I have now I have resurrection power living on the inside Jesus you have given us freedom no longer bound by sin and darkness living in the light of your goodness you have given us freedom Again, just a reminder that if you need that space this Wednesday, 5 to 7, that will be available as well. Just make sure you RSVP the 20th. We're not sure what to expect with kids being in here and being Christmas. So the 20th, RSVP for that, as well as the Eve before the Eve. Uh, Those are filling up quickly, so make sure you get your names in for those for the Eve before the Eve on the 23rd. And excited to journey together towards Christmas together. Thanks so much for being here this week, and uh, we'll see you. Thanks.